Greetings and welcome to the Growing the Next Version of You show. Every week or so I get together with thought leaders and we talk about the trends that are happening in the world and we think of life from a mind, body and spirit perspective because that's what servant leaders do. So join me. Greetings, Robert. Ah, hello. Thanks for coming out. My pleasure. It's uh, it's really been uh, a long time since we've had a time to sit down and chat, so mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to this. It has. Congratulations on uh, all the great results with this podcast. I hear it's going around the world. It's uh, it's cranking. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. Um, getting to meet really interesting people and um, and sit down and get to know them better than I ever have before. So, which. Cool which gives me a lot of joy. Yeah. So I, and I think it will you too. Cool. <laughs> so, um, I, um, uh, I actually, uh, started doing this just a few months ago. Right. So here in season two, I'm actually taking some of the feedback that I got from some, from my friends. So my first podcast probably, uh, sent it to about 40 people. And you and one other, yeah, with Brad Cope, exactly. Yeah, and you and one other gave me some feedback. So this is the result, right? That's so, awesome. yeah, so I really appreciate your That's responsiveness. Pleasure. You've done that numerous times in my life and it's been, it's been powerful. Yeah, so thank cool. you very You're much. Welcome. You're yeah. Welcome. I, uh, last year we had a, uh, an event with, uh, Chad from the chosen and uh, we weren't getting a lot of results from getting people to come to it because it was kind of out of the box for the Association for Business Technology Professionals to have a producer of a television show come in, even though they use technology. It is tech, yeah, it all over the place. But uh, I reached out to you and the board at, uh, at the, the DFW Prayer Breakfast, and you offered to cover some uh, tickets for people. My pleasure. It made a huge difference. We had a full house, and cool. uh, and that's thanks to you. Ah, cool. And because you did that, then another person on the board did it as well. Ah, so, uh, yeah, that kind of responsiveness in this world is rare. So um, I really appreciate it. You know, that. that really comes from a mindset of really understanding how many times I've needed other people. Yeah. And uh, if you're not thankful in your mindset, you get something and you're like, okay, I deserve that, and you just move on. But when I was looking for a job, yeah. and a lot of people that came to your events are, are in transition, right? And so at, at ABTP, right? right? And so I remember how frustrating it was to be out of a job, yeah. and it felt like nobody was helping me, right? And so anything yeah. I ever come across where I can support, like our, our prayer breakfast has its own transitions group for those That's people right. in job transition. I want to support those things because I know what it feels like, yeah. And we get. I, I can tell you a thousand times people I know who they'll call me and they need help when they're out of a job. They'll get the job. They won't even tell me. Then they'll get the job and then they'll go on for a year. Then they'll be out of a job and all of a sudden they'll call me again. Right. And I know every time I get a phone call, oh, you're out of a job? Uh, yeah. But where was our relationship during that time? Right. And so I just try and stay connected with the people I care about and help because I remember what that felt like. Yeah. I, it, and it's it's uh, it's authentic and it's it's real. So again, yeah, thanks, thanks very much. You're welcome. So um, one of your feedbacks was get the get the guest talking sooner, which I just did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Check that so thank off. Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, so what I want to do is just rapidly 
you are the the partner of CEO groups and a bunch of other things that you do. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you sit down with a new CEO for the first time, what are like the top three things that you recommend that somebody do as they're looking to increase their proficiency as a leader? Well, I'm a coach. I'm an executive coach. And so I don't really tell people to do anything. Sure. So if I had to think of anything that I help them focus on, mm -hmm. I mean, the audacity of me to sit with some guy who runs a company, man or woman who runs a company, right. who's got 100 employees and been doing it for years. And I'm going to say, well, you got to look at your cost value. I mean, that would be nonsense. Uh, consultants do that. You would bring someone sure. in. I was a marketing consultant for many years. So people paid me to come in and look at marketing. Okay. So when I meet a, a business owner or CEO for the first time and I don't know them, I'm just asking tons of questions. And I think having a, a Socratic mindset sure. where you would just ask questions and a question leads to another question, leads to another question. And uh, there's this, this thing we do where we say why a bunch of times and we're not being a jerk. Right. You'll say, well, I want to do this. Why? Well, because I'm just, why? Right. Well, I don't do it. Why? And you, I have to tell them ahead of time. I'm not trying to bug you. But in reality, there's a why behind all of the things you think you want to do, but you haven't thought them through. So when I meet someone, I ask them a lot of questions. If there was three areas that I found that I like to have people look at more intently from the beginning is accountability, which is what our book's all about, Sure, is delegation and trust. And those are the three areas that I've found that leaders uh, often lose sight of because we're so busy doing stuff right. that we forget the foundation of all good business is trust. And if we don't have good communication, we don't have trust. But we build trust and it allows us to have enough trust to delegate. Delegation is a transfer of trust. I trust you, so I'll let you do this. Yeah. But I didn't trust you, I wouldn't let you do it. Right. And so because I trust you, I'm going to let you do this. Let you. I really am this, that mindset. Right. Not like, oh, my boss made me do this. No, he's letting you. you. You have a job. You're getting paid either way. But you get to learn this. You get to lead this. You get to prove yourself. And then... The accountability only comes from when you build an environment of accountability. One of the things we talk about in the book is nobody can hold anyone accountable. You have to create an environment where they want to be accountable. I remember the earliest version of me seeing that was in a men's group that I was in at my church in, in Southern California where I grew up. And I met with these dudes every, I think it was weekly, but maybe it was every other week for years. And then some guy would be like, oh yeah, I'm getting divorced. And we're like, hey, what? what? You never said anything about your marriage ever. How things going? How things are great? You never even bring up a word about it. But all of a sudden, now you're getting divorced. What What was the accountability in that group? There was none. Mm -hmm. Just because we met in a meeting and we talked about life doesn't mean you're being honest. Right. And if you ask someone or you say, "Hey, hey hold me accountable. Right. I'm gonna be a better husband. I'm gonna hold me accountable." And you go, "Well, how are you treating your wife? Great, doing great." Well, if I ask her, I wonder if I get the same answer, right? Mm -hmm. But just because I ask you doesn't mean you're being honest. And I can't hold you accountable. But if I cast a vision of what it would look like to have a great marriage, you're like, man, I want my marriage to be better. You'll create accountability. You'll say, I'm going to do this. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to tell you I want to have it done. You'll drive the accountability. Right. So those are three areas. It would be trust, delegation, and accountability. Awesome. Well, that's a great, that's a great start uh, to the conversation. So uh, just for those in our audience who, who want to know, uh, Robert is talking about which would be everybody, <laughs> right? The worldwide. Robert's talking about his book. Nobody cares. Subtitle until you do. Um, it's a really awesome book. Um, uh, you know, because of your reach out, as soon as you uh, said, "Hey, my book's order uh, is ready for pre-order," 
I went and I bought it nice. on pre-order. Thank you. And then uh, you got to you got to show it to the world before. I guess you got a book box before the before it actually went yeah, online. Pre-orders, yeah. yeah. I was so nervous when they first showed up because I'd read the transcript, which is a very different thing. Even though every page looks the same in a, in a PDF transcript, right. it doesn't, you don't hold it in your right. hand. And boy, when you hold your book in your hand that you work so hard to, yeah. it's surreal. Yeah, it's so cool. That's awesome. It really was. So, uh, so how long was it in the making? Took us about a year. Okay. Uh, Salem Thine is the co-author, and he's a friend of mine who happens to be in one of our groups. And uh, about a year ago, well, about a year before we committed to write the book, so not two years now, he showed me this accountability ladder that someone else had created. Okay. And it's a simple ladder, and it's, at the bottom it says unaware, and at the top it talks about being a victor. And somewhere in our lives, we exist either unaware of the level of accountability that life requires of you, and then you go on the journey and it shows this ladder where you go up and you have blame, excuses, wait and hope, and just say you can't. And then at some point you go, I want to not be this way. I want to go to the top of the ladder. And then you have a plan. And what's you, at the top again? At the top is where you become a victor, where you're no longer held back by the lies that, that hold us back. Um, you you have it, So the ladder goes, blame, excuses, I, I can't, uh, wait and hope. And then it has a, a gap in the ladder. And then it goes to... Um, reality make a solution find a solution um oh my gosh Embrace you have it in the book yeah it's, i should know this no no i should do it in my own life. i wrote my own book and so it's acknowledge reality embrace the suck and then uh make, make the suck make a plan and get it get it done i'm trying to correlate the ladder which is different than the book okay. and the reason we changed it away from the ladder was uh, you can't rest on the ladder but is the ladder here no oh okay, okay. Uh, oh sorry i referenced I it for just one yeah, little I paragraph I some guy it. some guy created it and i wouldn't okay. want two years now going hey this is my ladder i'd like yeah, to have you can roll to your sort, book you right source it yeah, well, I, we looked very hard, actually, and we did find that we think who's the author of okay. it. But nonetheless, on a ladder, you don't stop. You can't camp out on a ladder. You're just going somewhere, right? right. You're either going up or going down, or right. maybe you work for all, but you come down. Yeah. On a mountain, you can camp out, actually. Okay, so that's what you're... So we, tra we transferred it to the mindset of a mountain. Okay. And at the bottom of it, you're a victim because everything's against you. You talk to people these days, and you see it everywhere. Right. And everything they talk about, oh, my stupid boss fired me. Well, maybe if you were really great, he wouldn't have fired you. Maybe he'd still be working there. And, and they're very quick to make excuses and blame people. Or a lot of times they say, oh, I can't do that. And you go, really, you can't do that? Or you don't want to do that? Right. And so it's really easy. If I tell you something like that, you go, oh, that makes sense. And then you give me a break because I've given you a logical excuse. Sure. But in reality, I haven't gotten any better. Right. I'm still a victim. I'm still right. screwed by that horrible boss and that horrible spouse and my horrible kids. Yeah. But you didn't do anything about it. And that makes me a victim. When I own it, yeah. if I say this is my issue, then I have the power to fix it. Right. So when Kathy and I were in debt at the end of 2000 and, oh man, way back before that, uh, we prayed, is this Lord, what do you want us to do this year? We had really bad debt. And for years and years, kept building. And at the beginning of 2020, I said, I'm not living the life I want anymore. Mm. And I'm actually blaming God for why it's not the way I want. And I'm actually mad at God. And he's not giving me enough money. And I could just see God in heaven go, oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, all the millions I gave you over your career. What'd you do with that? You know? But anyway, so we talked and I said, I've become where it's now an idol. Idols anything that comes between you and God. I mean, right. that's just what it is. It's simple enough. It could be your wealth, your power, your whatever stuff. So at that point, the only thing I thought about was I'm not getting enough money. 
and God is not doing a good job. And I told Kathy, I don't want to live this way. I don't like this way. And so we need to do something. And, and in September of 2019, I got vertigo for 16 days. And I, 16 days of vertigo, lay down, want to throw up, sit up, want to throw up, can't sleep, can't, I mean, it's exhausting. And I thought, Kathy, what if I have vertigo the rest of my life? You're so screwed because right. we owed $90,000 in debt right. on credit cards and on government debt. And I said, you'll never survive. Because I can't work anymore. Mm. After the first couple of days, I'm like, this is weird. After a week, after 19, 16 days, uh, this might last forever. Mm -hmm. So it was at that point I said, and praise God, it went away. I said, okay, that's it. We're going to do it. We're gonna... So we sold our house, put it on the market. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard thing to do. So, you know, when you look at embrace the suck, right. embrace the suck, let's sell the house. I found a solution. I knew yeah. what there was. And we sold the house and we paid off our debt. And it's beautiful because when you don't have money hanging over your head, mm -hmm. you could make really smart decisions. Mm -hmm. But I could blame the economy. I could blame uh, my franchise that I was a part of that didn't help me to the extent that I wanted them to help me. I could blame all stuff. I could make all kinds of excuses. The reality is I spent that money. I bought a house that was 3,400 square feet with a movie theater upstairs and had really beautiful furniture. I didn't need that. There was two of us. I mean, James was still there, but he was going to move away in a couple of years at least. And so why did I need a house like that? So it was just all the things that, that I was blaming and make excuses kept me as a victim. And so when you say I can't, it's really I won't. Right. And I can't sell the house was what we were saying. But yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. You can. And we start over. We have a little rental just down the road. And we owe no money. And we have peace every morning. It's just radical. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So that's... So the the other thing that you you talked about in, at the in the beginning and your three things is trust. Um, I've been doing leadership development for 24 years uh, in the Society for Information Management, then at uh, the Association of Business Technology Professionals, but also for some major corporations: uh, uh, Pearson Education, Time Warner Cable, Jacobs Engineering, uh, Mattel, places like that. So um, almost. Every time I ask what the major issues are to a group of executives at any of those big companies or any of the mid-sized companies that come to my forums and things like that, trust um, will be the top of the list, mm. the lack of trust. Yeah. will be on the top of the too list much trust. of thing. No, not, nobody <laughs> has too much trust. Right. And if you, so that's from a corporate perspective, but then you look at what's going on in the world, right, with the different uh different factions the way that they look at the world and things and nobody trusts anybody right nobody trusts any right. institutions right, right? The, the institutions that we formally trusted we don't trust from anybody. government to church we to don't marriage trust church exactly so so what is behind this so this is so and this is a, an honest question i don't i don't i don't i can't assume that i know the answer it's like, what are, let's talk about it. You know, what is, what are the things that keep us from trusting? Yeah, you know, probably a, a way smarter person than I am who actually knows the answer to this. I think what I've seen in my life is that the failures of people and the lack of communication. If I say I'm going to be at your baseball game mm -hmm. and I don't show up, it's, you didn't do it. Right. And we've, we've diminished uh, keeping our word to such a small thing. Our governments, our leaders can lie and then go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Actively. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, well, okay. And we've become a society where we've just, we've accepted right. a lack of honesty. Right. I don't know what the slow piece of that, maybe right. you could find some really turning point in our history. But at the end of the day, 
church leaders lie and they get busted. Oh, I'm not sleeping with that woman. Oh, yes, you are. And then you lose your whole ministry, right? Mm -hmm. And then your your government leaders, no, I'm not doing that. And then they lie and I'll get into office, I'll change all this. And they get there and they don't. And your bosses, you know, I just had a call recently this, this week from a, one of my clients who's gonna, they're going to sell their business. And, and they're telling the employees, hey, nothing's going to change. Well, it's not necessarily a lie, but something's going to change. Right. I'll guarantee you. Right. I've never seen a deal go through where someone sells their business where something doesn't change. Right. I've watched many of them, been a part of them, been a part of the process and been around them with my clients. Something always changes. And it may not be evil, but you said you're going to do it and it can't be done because of, let's say COVID. Right. What happened to all the people who made promises to the world uh, two months before COVID hit? Well, yeah, I'm going to buy this property. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent your, your storefront and open up a donut store. COVID hits and shuts down the world. And you don't show up to pay rent to that guy. You gave your word you were going to rent that space. I can't. Nobody's going out of their house and no one's buying donuts. I cannot start my business. And the contractor who you hired and put a $1,000 deposit down, you want it back. He's no way. You want, I've already spent my crew coming and doing all stuff. Were these lies mm -hmm. or was just, just the, so there's this, on, the, when you build a foundation of lies, one more honest lie or not keeping your word, if we want to say it that way, just is enough to tip it over where people just say, I'm not trusting anybody anymore. Right. So if you, if you could look at the history of us continually bald face, bold face lying and you multiply that by the times we just don't keep our word, right. there's a culture of lies. And, and that's what it is. We talk about it in, in the session I do on how to build trust is that uh, the care, there's two pillars. Uh, Covey did a great book on speed of trust, yeah. character and competency. And so if my character is great, but I lack time management, and every time I say, I'll come by your office at two o'clock and I don't show up, did you lie or did you just not manage your time, right? And then with all good intentions, you go, oh man, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But after you do that a hundred times, people go, I can't trust you. You're not gonna not that I think you're evil. You're evil with your calendar, right. but you just suck at time management. We'll change that. Change it. Change your behaviors. Learn something. Even as easy as just putting on your calendar and then when it beeps, go to do something, right? right. Yeah, very good. These are all topics I love. So don't, if I start no, going too I know, long, just go, I know, I know. put a finger on the side of the nose. That's enough. I'm, I'm trying enough. to think. There was a there was something that you did recently. Um, I don't remember. It was a it was, there was a topic that you. That oh you man, covered. I've had some great topics this last year. God has revealed to me some life changing, and I believe cultural changing. Okay, so let's go back to that statement. So. One of, one of the things that this show is about is really mind, body, spirit. Where mm -hmm. do we come from? You've referred to God a couple of times. So let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Where did Robert learn about God? What does God mean to Robert? That kind of thing. So yeah. let's, go, let's go back to where you came from and all that kind of stuff. You know, I grew up at a church. I, I was an um, evangelical free church. It was a non-denominational church. in Dallas? In or? Fullerton, California. So you're from California. Yeah, I was born and raised in Southern California. And then Chuck Swindoll came to our church yeah. when I was probably in like, you know, third grade or first grade or something like that. Uh, you know, he's just a dude. I, you yeah. know, I think he's a wonderful man. Yeah. Uh, but our church grew and I think it was like five years old. I was in Sunday school and they show you a book. This is a black page and there's a yellow page and there's a red page. And the basic summary, I don't know if I'm doing the colors right. The basic point is, you don't go to hell, do you? I'm going, I don't want to go to hell. Okay, well, just pray to ask Jesus. And so I was saved as a little boy, whatever, however you measure that. Um, but I never lived as a, as a Christ follower. Sure. And then I grow up all through high school camp and church and always in the church and always doing church stuff. Uh, I met my wife through my, our church. Um, and 
it wasn't until I went to a Promise Keepers conference in 1994 that I stood at Anaheim Stadium with thousands of men and they were all singing these songs. And I'm like, man, I don't even know Jesus. Right. Like I would take my clients to nudie bars during the week and then I'd lead a Sunday school class on Sunday. And I just hope these people never met anywhere. And it was just like this totally hypocritical deal. But I was, I was walking it, man. If you looked at me, I was playing both sides really well. And um, that I think 90% of folks do. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I was at that conference that I I said, you know, I don't really know you, Jesus, but I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. So I just, I want to so know you. you at this point. It was 31. Okay. And I said, I just want to live like for no holds, just a hundred percent. I'm going to try what it's like to really live for you. Mm-hmm. And it was at that day. I think I was really saved. I think, cause I felt the spirit of God truly in my life. You know, when you're saved the belief for you started then really, well, I think obedience started okay, then. Okay. I think Jesus says, well, I don't think I know Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. Right. And so I think that, we make it too hard to be a Christian. We make it too hard to be a Christ follower. I love what some really wise guy said, who I can remember who it was, uh, love God, do whatever you want. And that to me is, is the way I roll. Right. And so if I love God, I'm not going to go to a nudie bar. Right. Even though I'm an adult, I'm over 18, I can go there. Well, that's disgusting. Those poor little girls are probably been abused. That's why they get to that place. Why are you supporting that? Right. I'm an adult. I can drink if I want. I can, but if you get liquored up and you always act like a fool or you're ruining your marriage or your body or you're driving drunk, don't do it. Right. I mean, these are, these are not hard, yeah. but if you love God and you don't want to diss him, for lack of a better word, then you don't do stuff like that. I love my wife. I wouldn't look at another woman because I love my wife. And even though she wouldn't see, I know that in my heart I'm looking at, I just, because I love her. So, so that's the simple version. So at that point, at at that 94 moment, I was like, okay, let's do this thing. And every day was awesome. I couldn't read the Bible enough. I wanted to read it because now I had the spirit of God set free because I was going to give him my whole heart. And it was so different. I still knew who Jesus was before. I still knew the Bible. I went to BSF and Navigator classes and all this stuff all those years. I knew scripture. It didn't mean anything to me. Right. It was an intellectual lecture. Yeah, it was It was knowing about him, but not knowing him. Right. So from those so days. In, in my vernacular, that's the mind part, right? Okay. And then the yeah, spirit yeah. part is yeah. the soul. It's the it's the connecting part that actually, Yeah. not only do we have one, but we receive his. And that's the that's that you free it up to be right otherwise it's just a thing right yeah. and what was weird is that was like may of 1984 okay. and then for two or three months i was just a zealot mm. and i wasn't like condemning people but i remember one time going yeah. i just want to talk to someone about jesus i was at mcdonald's i'm hanging around going <laughs> ah, i said guy wants to talk about jesus and i was i was just i just wanted to talk about it because i was so excited and everyone in my work saw the difference. Everyone knew all my customers. I don't go to that stuff anymore, man, because Jesus is in my heart and I want to live for him. And they're like, what? Right. But anyway, within like four months, um, about that time, my wife showed up at work and said, or actually this other person did, here's your divorce papers. And she uh, filed to leave me and gave me these papers. And I came home and the house was empty. And my two-year-old daughter was gone and my wife was gone. And I remember being in the kitchen and crying and going, wow, God, this is how you thank me uh-huh. for finally giving my heart completely to you. And he said, not in an audible voice, but right. through the spirit of God, I was preparing you for tonight. Because mm-hmm. I was going to go to Maui and grow uh, mushrooms on uh, cow pies and put them in honey. 
like, cause I met a dude in college we used to get high with. And he told me he lived in Hawaii for a year growing mushrooms off of cow pies and putting them in jars and putting honey on them and give them to tourists and they'd get high and he'd make money and he never had a job. He just did that. And like, I remember that thought came to my brain that moment. I went, I'll go to Maui, which I love Hawaii. I'll just go and grow mushrooms out of cow pies. I didn't know how to do that. You can see me my first day of enterprise. I'd be picking up poo and trying to find something. <laughs> anyway, so I, no, I didn't do that. But at that moment when I was, after, before, you know, that thought came, and then God said, no, listen, I was preparing you for today. Mm. And I lost everything. I went through a bankruptcy. Um, I lost all my friends because uh, my divorce was super public. It was in the paper. Mm. It's a long story. But, um, yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Um, well, but I mean, but I, the, the, the thing of it was no people uh, rallied around me and provided for me and God brought things out of the air. And I got to live at some dude's house for $300 a month with two rooms, me and Lauren, my daughter. And we started just trusting God. And it was a weird time. I was, I was telling Kathy, my beautiful wife today, that um, uh, I want to get back to the weight I was when I started dating you and I was like 188 and I was started at 261 just a few months ago and I've lost 40 pounds You're so at far. 261. Oh yeah. That's why I wear those untucked shirts so baggy. I was really happy I could tuck this shirt in and I and I could button the coat and all you that. Had so, that. You had that very well. Yeah, untucked shirts baby. <laughs> Uh, but I was 261 when I started and I've lost 40 pounds, but I want to go down to right under 200 and see where I go from there. Yeah. But um, I lost a ton of weight because I wasn't eating. Yeah. They made a pot of frijoles and put them on the, you buy those beans at the store and you put them in water and put a jalapeno. And that's all I ate all the time. Yeah. And it wasn't even farty. It just was good beans. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> anyway, so I lost all this weight. And, and during those days of just having nothing except God, I don't believe you all, I don't believe all you need is God. Otherwise, he wouldn't give us people. He wouldn't right. give us a wife or a spouse. He wouldn't give us joy through all the things we experience in life. So that night, that statement, all you need is God. I don't think that's thought through all the way. But all I had was God. Mm. And the clothes that my wife left, my clothes. And that couch that she made me buy when we were married, we were broke. And she still insisted on it. And then she left that couch. <laughs> I traded... Uh, traded for a crappy couch to somebody else because I wanted to get rid of it. So I inherited another couch at some point. Anyway, all that stuff to say... Those are some bizarre years, but God was good. And I learned to really know who God is through the hard times. You know, they say the fruit grows in the valley, but uh, you can see a view at the top. Everybody wants to be at the mountain highs of their faith, right. but in the, in the mud is where the fruit grows. Right. And man, when I, was, when I had nothing but me and my daughter, everybody who had left me and, and, and I lost everything, God was still there. So it was a really cool time of just walking with him and trusting him. And um, that, I think that was the foundation of my faith for who I am today. I don't hold on to anything. Yeah. I don't need anything. I, I realize what it is to truly have nothing. Yeah. And I was okay with that um, because at least I knew what I was doing and um, rebuilt. And then now 20 guys, 30 years later, yeah. now I have a beautiful wife married 24 years and my son's 20 that God gave us because of our marriage together. My, my sweetheart daughter just got married at 31 and there's a that's verse why you were not at the prayer. That's why I wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. There's a cool verse that says the Lord will give you back the years. The locusts have eaten from you. Mm -hmm. And I think I lost everything, but I actually gained everything. Right. It just took a little time to clean out the junk that still wasn't there. It's like the onion we're peeling away. Mm -hmm. And God was so good to teach me so much during those days. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's who I am today because so, of that. So, um, 
recently I went to a uh, an Andrew Andrew Womack um, Grace weekend in Colorado with a very good friend of mine, and it was um, it was mind blowing. It was really powerful, and um, and as I was driving home from that experience with my friend. Um, I had a vi I had a vision of some things that I've been thinking about for a long time, uh, but the teaching that Andrew Womack did specifically on mind, body, spirit, soul. So he kind of breaks it. He 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 takes it one more step. Um, he talks about the fact that when when we and this is all verified in the scripture as far as I can see as well, right? That when the Holy Spirit is granted to us upon belief that it is not only granted to us fully and immutably, but it is, it is, it is protected from us. Mm. It is in us and protected, sealed, is what the scripture says, in us. Yeah. So that when we go through times like that, where we're, where we're tested or tried, that we already have God in us, and all we have to do is rely on him, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, it's a, it's interesting. And another time we'll go through the diagram and that kind of thing, but it's a, it's a really, really neat um, uh, learning that just is recent for me. And that, that reminded me of it. So you, you are, you are sufficient regardless of what's happening in life is a kind of, is what I hear you say. I've just learned that I don't have to have stuff. Right. If I lose a job, it's a time for God to show me what he's doing. Right. Uh, I always remember this phrase that God is always at work to either change my character or my relationship with him. Yeah. And there are times where he said, you know, you're still a bit egotistical. I'm going to help you change some of that. Right. And there's still some times where he says, I want to spend more time with you and you seem to be so busy. So I'm going to remove this job away so you and I can hang out more. Often. Okay. But I, I would offer too, though, the egotism or the personality that you have is also a blessing to other people. When kept in check, when kept in check. It's but, like anything that's good can be bad. I totally agree. Yeah. But but you have to embrace it as well, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm just telling you that because I admire you and, I, you and I enjoy being with you, right? Yeah, thank you. So, and sometimes you have to remember, you know, you know you as better than anybody else, sometimes, unfortunately, right? You know what I mean by that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but God doesn't, well, and sometimes God I don't doesn't think, see that. I don't think I know myself as well as I think I know myself. Yeah. Because sometimes I do something and I'll, you know, genuinely feel stupid about it. Well, if you knew yourself, why'd you do it? Right. I, I think there's still a lot of habits. Yeah. There's still a lot of knee jerk reactions to things. And we talk about that in the book that your very first thing to do when something happens is to blame somebody. Right. I don't want to blame them, but it just feels so good. Right. And, or make an excuse. And so as I've well, learned, it's the, it's the human, uh, physical man response as Paul would say. Right. And it's what we've been trained to do, right? If you're a little kid and, and there's two of you fighting your brother, you're wrestling, knocking over the lamp, and you both were wrestling, you quickly go, he did it. Right. I mean, it's just like, that's you grown up with that. Yeah. And every problem you've ever faced, you're so quick to ditch onto some other thing or some person or some stuff. And, and that made you feel better. But it never fixed the habit. It never dealt with the reason you got in trouble in the first place. You may have temporarily dished it off on your brother or some other thing or your boss or your spouse. But you're still stuck. You're still going to break another lamp. Right. You didn't deal with it. Very cool. So you um, 
you said something as we were sitting down to get ready to start that uh, you're a reluctant CEO or a reluctant yeah, entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, let's keep on going back. So 30 years ago, you're in California, all that stuff happened to you. So bring us forward and, and how has, has the blessing that God has provided to you come out in that time? Yeah. So the, um, I was a sales guy and during those days I didn't work at all. And my company was so cool. Uh, they were, they were very kind to me, uh, but I had $48 million territory that I maintained as an account executive and uh, selling woven fiberglass fabric. Very, very important. You should go in the printed circuit board market. That's where they use it. Uh, okay. Okay. And then, uh, uh, God, oh, just coming back, back to America. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cause uh, we had plants in the South and we sold them all off and then it all went to China. Yeah. And then, Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, but so uh, I didn't work for a while, but um, I took care of my daughter. And uh, when she was with me and I had very limited time, I had every other weekend, Thursday to Monday, kind of a gig until Tuesday morning. Um, uh, when I was going through divorce, I'm like, hey, take all the money you want, but just I'd like to see my daughter. Mm -hmm. And so my lawyer didn't think I did a very good job. I don't think he did a very good job. Uh, but anyway, I, at the end of the day, it was just money and I, I can't keep it anyway. So, uh, but I got time with Lauren and that was really important to me. And so um, over those first couple of years of just me and her, um, I didn't care about anything else except making sure that she didn't get a bum rap. And, um, and then after a couple of years, uh, I started dating Kathy who I'd known ever since high school, oh. but she was my friend, but she was so cool and popular and fun and awesome. I would never think of dating her. I was such a dork. <laughs> I was such a drama dork, you know, and I, I just, I had nothing on the go. And, uh, I just looked at her as the coolest girl and nicest person I ever met. And so I would never think of having feelings for her. And then she and I started dating a couple of years after I got divorced and she'd really, she'd be in my world. So we got married years later, like five years after I got divorced, I got married. And then we started living life together and we had a son, James. And uh, somewhere along that journey, I just became so disillusioned with Southern California. Uh, they're just so dumb and how they do everything. Yeah. The only cool part about it is the beach, which I loved. Right. But I said, Kathy, when's the last time we surfed or skied or golfed or did anything? All we do is work to try and pay our bills for our little tiny 1600 foot house. And it's you know, worth $600,000, right. you know, and Where um, were you in? Uh, Fullerton. Fullerton, okay. Went to Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> Nobody from Cal State Fullerton go watch this. Um, actually, I'm going to try and go back to Cal State Fullerton with some of the books when I go there for oh, Thanksgiving. See my family, see if I can donate some to their college. So what library. time? What time frame is this? So we moved in 12 years ago, so 19, okay. or 2010. Okay. Right. Okay. And um, uh, came out here, and I was doing marketing consulting, and I uh, immediately met a couple people through the marketing association, which was kind of my culture, my yeah, group I, at the time. Yeah. yeah. And hung with them for a while, and. Um, I met a guy who was doing peer groups who had bought the franchise rights from Renaissance Executive Forums, their franchise international. And he was asking me marketing questions. And I said, so, wait, wait, so what do you do? Yeah. And as he told me about it, I said, so people pay you money to, do to that. help them? It, that's <laughs> nuts. Yeah. That's my personal purpose in life. I've written down my personal purpose. I read a book by Cheryl Batchelder called uh, Learn, uh, Dare to Serve Leadership. And it's so well done. It's so good about servant leadership and in her story at Popeye's. But at the back end, it, she teaches you how to write down your personal purpose. So I had to find my personal purpose is I help people remove obstacles that keep them from being their best. And so when David told me about this franchise and what they do, I said, oh, gosh, I have to do that. And so I quit doing marketing consulting. I learned how to be a forum leader, how to facilitate and started doing it in the 
uh, spring of 2013. I had my first group up by the end of the year, and I've been doing it ever since. Very cool. This next year will be t 10 years. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so my wife and I lived in Pasadena, California. Oh, yeah, the Rose Parade. 2000 until 2000, or until, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 90 until 99. We moved here in 2000. So similar thing. We, Those are some good years. They, they were awesome Except years. Except for 98 we, when the bank We loved living weird. there. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, we were at the foothills of the Mount Wilson. So yeah, a lot cool. of Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings, I would I would hike up to the top to Mount Wilson and then run down the trail. That's awesome. Back when I was fit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we enjoyed, we loved living there. But when we started having kids, Michael was born in 2000. Mm. We're like, yeah, we're going back to Texas. I'm mm. from Houston originally. Okay. She's from uh, Puerto Rico. Oh. But similar, similar disillusionment with kind of the the way that things have been done. But yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Sure. I feel like this is home. I feel like I lived more life in the twelve years I've been here than mm -hmm. I did my whole life in California, mm -hmm. because I found my purpose. Yeah. And I think there's nothing there's nothing more rewarding than living out your purpose. You know, it has it's cool to have a job. It's cool to have stuff. It's cool to do things. But if you're fulfilling your purpose every day, yeah. every day is awesome. Yeah. And even the bad, hard, challenging situations I face from time to time, uh, I'm still living my purpose. Yeah. So how hard could it be? Yeah. It's, it's just the way to go. Yeah. So Cheryl Bat Bat Batchelder. Batchelder. Yeah, she spoke at the prayer. She breakfast. did. I invited her. Did you really? I, I reached so did out. Did you read because you had read her book? Yeah. I figured obviously she owes me. I read her book. Well, see, I owe you something else. <laughs> so this is a this is good. So go ahead and tell that. Story well, so I went on LinkedIn and I saw hey. You know, I read your book. I love it. And yeah. she actually said, thanks. Yeah. And so I'm like, um, as a side note, <laughs> <laughs> would you be willing to come speak at our prayer breakfast? I have no money. Right. You have to come around your own right. and we can't pay you. Right. And she's like, well, let me think about it. And I was like, okay. You, you don't get, you right. don't ask. Or you don't ask, you don't get, right? Right. And then she's like, okay. <laughs> okay. So I called Steve. Like, hey, we got Cheryl Batchelder. Yeah. And she was the coolest. She's so nice. Yeah. Um, and it. She's smart and she's focused and she's successful and she loves Jesus. And yeah. she just, she's, she was awesome when she came and spoke, but she just seems like, a, I don't hang out with her, right? but she just seems like a cool person. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, so just so you know, the story, my story with her, I was the receiver of her message at that, at that uh, forum. And I added her book to my leadership class. Ah. And so for many years, I still use it on occasion, depending on you know where I am and which company it is and whether they're embracing that kind of thing. But I think her book, which is that, uh, what is it called? Dare to Serve Leadership. Dare to Serve is, um, is a modern um, proof that servant leadership works. Yeah, it's the best analysis is, of servant leadership I've ever read. It's phenomenal. And there's other guys, the guy who actually invented it or documented it is so dry. Right. It's a beatdown. Yeah. Oh right. my gosh. Exactly. That's but why she I, made it fun and exciting. And she tells stories about Popeye's and, yeah. and that was a really messed up franchise. And she turned it around by modeling Correct. servant leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So she did. And it was amazing. So yeah, if you, st if you actually still know her, I'd love to talk to her. Uh, I, I knew as much as I knew her and I asked no, her to come. Okay. Maybe I'll ask her to come on the show and see if she wants yeah, to. Yeah, sure. Why not? All you can do is ask, right? Most of the time. I mean, like you, you know, basically because I'm, I'm getting to know my guests, that's kind of the purpose of the whole show. Um, it's a great way for you to let people know who you are too. So who knows? Maybe she'll come. Uh, she's super she, nice. Where does she, she live? Do you in know? Atlanta, I think. Atlanta? Okay. She's actually, I think, working for Chick-fil-A now. 
Oh, is she? She really? went off and did Burger King. Oh. She turned yeah. Burger King around and did it really well, and then they got bought. Or no, wait, sorry, Popeyes got bought by Burger King. She left that, and she was always on the board, I think, for Chick Fil A. Okay. And then that's, I'm probably butchering it. Sorry, Cheryl. <laughs> sorry, Cheryl, I'm doing this wrong. I'm not. But well, she, she's, I think, she works for Chick Fil A now. Yeah, at well, least on the board. I love, I love her book, and would love to meet her. So. Well, well I was speaking to people who know people. If you know Oprah, I, <laughs> I want to get on Oprah's show. Just have her call me. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to be able to be on Oprah's show and talk about the book? And then, I mean, this book is for the average human being. Yeah. This is when she gives you books away. Yeah. And this is the book that's going to make all the people who sit home watch okay, Oprah so stop here, I'm going to do it now. So I, I got your book. I'm going to ask you to sign it for me. Oh, all right on. And, um, and I like and your space we'll, pen. We'll, we'll talk through it. Okay. Cool. So it's actually a perfect segue. Paul has given us the 10 minute sign. So thanks very much. Went fast. So, um, so the, the sub, the sub subtitle is living beyond the blame excuses and doubts that hold you back. Yeah. So what is your, what is your why? I'm going to, I'm going to play you. What is your why with why you wrote this book? The why I wrote that book yeah. is during COVID. I was so sad by how everybody hated everybody. Mm. I hear stuff like my friend who I've known for 30 years stopped being my friend because I put on Facebook that you should wear a mask right? or don't wear a mask right. or, or get the shot or, or don't get the shot. And it was, it was mind boggling to me that, you know, you can always piss somebody off, but I remember having as a young man or maybe up until I was in my thirties and forties, if, if you want to disagree with me and talk, we disagree even maybe like, well, that's ridiculous. But at the end we wouldn't hate each other. We just go, all right, we see it differently or, Hey, you're an idiot, but it wasn't like, I hate you. Right. It's, I hate you now. Right. And I was sitting there watching this go on and everything was so fragmented during Trump's time. It's whatever about Trump. I think he had a lot of great ideas, but he's such a jerk mm. that he couldn't get it done. Cause he's so rude. Right. And, but he was doing some great stuff. And I was like, I like Trump. I'm supporting Trump. I want to vote Trump. Right. And then you're an idiot. He's evil. And there was like, there was this meanness that came up from Trump and everything stayed that level when COVID hit. Do you remember when 911 hit, when the, when the guys hit the towers, yeah. we all rallied together. That's Unless you were a Middle Eastern terrorist looking guy, everybody was together with everybody. Didn't matter what you did anywhere. Everyone came together, put flags in their cars for their house. There was this rallying around when COVID hit we all like scattered and hated each other. I think cause we were in this vibe with Trump of hating each other, that it spread to a different topic of COVID or mask or go to work, don't go to work. And it was sick. It was everywhere. And I watched this whole thing crumble and I thought everything I see is someone blaming mm -hmm. or making excuses for stuff. Why don't you just own your own stuff and get your act together and let's right. come back and try and get the world back on track. Right. So uh, before COVID hit Salem had shared with me the accountability ladder and and as I just embraced it and loved the principles of accountability, because that's what our group is about. Right. You join our CEO group because you want to be accountable. Right. We don't hold you accountable, but it gives you a place to be accountable. Right. So when he had shared that, he said, let's write a book about that. Or actually, he said, you should write a book. And I go, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then every once in a while, you bring it up. You can start that book. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to write that book. And then he goes, fine, I'll split it with you. I'll do it with you. So we had some time during COVID. That's and so we would secretly... Uh, you know, meet in person. And, uh, and we would map out, you know, how we would write this thing and how we tell stories. And Salem tried to commit suicide at one point in his life. Mm -hmm. And um, he just realized he woke up, he was alone still and nobody called, nobody knew and nobody cared. Mm -hmm. And he realized that 
all this blaming and make being mad at the world for what was going on. His wife had just moved out and he was alone. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, nobody really cares if you're fat, broke, married, unhappy, whatever you want to be. Nobody really cares right. unless you care. And if you actually care, do something about it. Stop blaming and making excuses saying you can't. And so that's why we wanted to write that book because these seem like they're so easy principles, but people are so mired in their lives of being a victim, they just can't see it. But if I can get them to stop and read the book, and the first chapter just tees it up, there is a way to do this better. Mm -hmm. And start by really assessing your life. That's what the satisfaction assessment is about. Are you happy with your life? And most people will say no right. in some area. My marriage, my finances, my kids, whatever, my job, fine. Now what? But instead, they say, I'm not happy with it. And all I do is complain and say, life sucks. It doesn't. You live in America. You live in the best country in the world. Argue all you want. It's the best country in the world. And you can get a job and you can worship your Lord and you can have friends and all this stuff. So you don't live in a place where they take your children when they're born or they mutilate your child. You know, all these things that go on around the world, we don't have that. So stop complaining. Now it's hard. It was hard the day I came home. My wife had split and left me with a piece of paper and saying, you're no longer going to be married anymore. It was hard. I could have been bitter. I grew up with a dad who used to beat us. I watched him beat my mom in front of me many times and beat us. And I was really scared of that guy my whole life. And then we were super poor. I didn't know that until I got older and compared to what other people have. I was like, oh, not everyone used, had used clothes. You know, it was just a whole nother mindset. I could be bitter for all kinds of things in life, but I've been saved for eternity. Right. And I met a guy, we didn't meet him. I saw him at Promise Keeper this year. He has no arms and legs. Mm. I can't remember his name. It's super cool. Nate? Yeah. Vichitik is. It's a yeah, long yeah, name. Yeah. He, he has was, no arms and legs. At, uh, he was at uh, Real News PR the other day. Oh, he was. And I went over there, yeah. So that guy could bitch. Yeah. That guy could be mad. I was born with no arms and legs. God is evil. But he knows God. He knows God uniquely made. And he's taking his story around the world that, hey, God yeah, made, uniquely made you. Speaker. He is. Yeah. So I... I we just looked at this whole thing and go, something's got to be done. And so maybe it'll only change three lives. Maybe it'll change a hundred lives. Yeah. We, we just genuinely wish that a million people would read this book and change their lives. And if I could do it one person at a time and affect someone's life for better and they stop being a victim and they just improve their marriage or just stop being fat. I mean, that's why, that's why I went on a diet because I was tired of being fat. Right. So just do something. But the book tells you how to do it. It gives you examples that we went through and lived. We lived it. We're still working on it every day. And that's why we wrote it. So it's a lab. Yeah, a testing lab. grounds, yeah. yeah. It's very interactive. Yeah. It's not a book that tells you how smart we are. You just read it, apply it, and do the next one. Very cool. All right. Well, this has been a tour de force in Robert Hunt. So thanks very much for coming out today. My pleasure. It's been a blessing to get to know you better. Thanks, Mike. Um, I am so um, happy and joyful that you are uh, exceeding your own expectations from what you know, the blame that you could have had for all those things that you shared. Um, and I appreciate the, the person that you are in the world is the same person that speaks in the world. Mm -hmm. So walking the walk and talking the talk is the, is the thing that, uh, that I very much appreciate. Thank you. So thanks very much for coming out today. We'll see you next time. I'm growing the next version of you. Thank you. Thanks, man. And bye-bye.